The golf retail industry certainly has not been immune to financial forces at play amid the coronavirus pandemic, but July 2020 was no doubt a bright spot as U.S. golf equipment sales reached an all-time greatest single-month retail sales total. Today, Golf Data Tech partner John Krisnowek is here to discuss what that achievement means, as well as several other COVID complexities in the golf retail space. I'm Sports Business Daily's Andrew Levin, and it's all right here, right now, on this Wednesday, September 2nd edition of SBJ Unpacks. Off products on and off the course. That is the purpose of this edition of SBJ Unpacks. Hello, I'm Andrew Levin, and today I'm joined by golf data tech partner John Krisnowek to discuss golf retail trends, present and future as it pertains to this global pandemic. John, thanks so much for taking the time this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Glad to be here. So, John, if it's all right with you, I'd like to start here. It was a little over a week ago now that you all announced that in July, U.S. golf equipment sales reached an all-time greatest single-month retail sales total since you all started tracking data in 1997. How do you contextualize such an achievement, especially amid this global pandemic, and then say compared to other top months of, of years past? As you know, we're not living in normal times, um, so there's a, a lot happening here. Uh, it, it was indeed the the largest single month of equipment sales, and we measure equipment sales as actual uh, consumer demand, so sell through at the point of sale, uh, and we're getting our data directly out of the point of sale software. So this is what consumers are taking away, not necessarily what um, manufacturers may be shipping in. But during the early time in that April, May, and uh, even in some places, part of June, you had the retailers were closed and they moved to curbside pickup only. There might've been only online sales available. So from the retail component, they were um, very much had their hands tied in terms of trying to sell anything. At the same time, in the, the early days of, of tremendous uncertainty, the, uh, the consumer was unsure where they were gonna spend their money, certainly in the uh, earliest days in, in March and early April, uh, people, the last thing they wanted to do was make a, a large ticket purchase, like a new set of irons, not knowing if they'd ever get to play, you know, uh, this year, next year, when. So you had that early period where demand really dried up. Manufacturers couldn't uh, ship anything because most of the manufacturers are located in states where uh, they had everything shut down, like California, Arizona, Massachusetts, Georgia, to some degree, they were a little more flexible there. But then uh, as we got into April, people uh, started to realize they could play golf because uh, golf is actually a you know, pretty uh, safe sport to play. You're outside, you're socially distant. You might be two fairways away from me when after we hit our drive. So you're, you're not close to each other. So demand started to grow. However, the retailers were still shut down and uh, we saw online sales start to grow exponentially as a percentage of the total, but uh, the total sales were still relatively low. And then as we got further along uh, into June and, and July, all the retailers opened up. Golf was booming. If, if anybody is uh, trying to find a tee time in a public golf course, they know just how difficult that can be. 
And um, so you had all this uh, kind of a confluence of things happened. Uh, consumer demand was strong because you had a lot of new golfers coming into the sport. They were driving uh, sales of mid to low price product, box sets, starter sets, uh, pre-owned clubs did extremely well. All of that was, was happening. You also had uh, the people who had been cooped up for a very long time able to play, but weren't able to go to a demo day, weren't able to try it out. All of a sudden, demo days be, started to, uh, to happen. And so you had this kind of confluence of many things happen. You had three months of no, or virtually no sales. Uh, we were down 60, 70% in a couple months. And then all of a sudden, it exploded. It was big in June. June was a big month. July was even bigger. And so you ended up having a huge increase of over 50% in sales in that one particular month. We were hearing August was pretty strong as well. Probably not going to be another repeat of a 50% increase, but uh, overall, everybody's feeling pretty good about it. John, I'd like to stay there for a moment with factors related directly to engagement and participation in the sport because four equipment categories, balls, irons, wedges, gloves, set all-time monthly sales records in July, which tells me, as you sort of indicated, many people's clubs aren't just sitting in the garage amid this pandemic, right? People are getting out there and playing, perhaps even if they're still losing the same amount of balls they used to. Well, yeah, and we actually, Golf Data Tech is also responsible for tracking. Uh, we track all the rounds play data in the United States. Well, in March in particular, in April, we had most of the country was shut down. You had some golf being played in the Southeast primarily, a little bit in Central California, but um, it was still in a time frame where a lot of those Northern tier courses would have been shut down perhaps anyway because of weather. So it wasn't as big a problem as it could have been, but we saw, you know, significant declines in in, uh, March and April. And then all of a sudden rounds played started to explode as well. So uh, we went from being down 20% to being actually rounds played are now ahead of where we were a year ago. And it's primarily due to just golf is, is a sport that everybody can play. You can be outside. Uh, so we're, we're seeing a huge influx of people who have never played before and people who have played but haven't played a lot in the, you know, in the last few years, perhaps gave it up because their kids were in sports events or, or on sports teams. And all of a sudden they have time on their hands because the kids' events aren't happening. They're not traveling for work. They're not going on vacation. They're like, well, I can go, I can still go play golf. And I remember I used to kind of like that. And they go out and they try it and they with their friends and the golf courses are, are just really jammed right now. And through the month of July, we've seen, we're, I think we're 3% ahead of where we were a year ago in rounds played. And uh, there's something of a correlation between golf balls sold and um, the consumable products like golf balls, uh, golf gloves, things that you go out and you, you use and lose or they deteriorate. And um, so, yeah, but, you know, those categories have done exceptionally well. So as you said, lots of successes in the hard goods space, those related to actually playing the game during this explosion of played rounds over the summer. How would you assess the soft goods space? Apparel has been much more challenging because they had, you know, many of the same issues that the hard goods guys did. They had um, very limited traffic in in the early days. Anything that was being sold was, was being sold online. 
uh, and, and much of the hard, or, I'm sorry, the apparel is sold through the green grass. Green grass golf sales are significantly higher than off course specialty apparel sales. And, and that particular channel has uh, been hurt the most because even though golf pro shops are now open, people are coming in doing whatever you know, uh, transaction they need to have happen, whether it's to pay a greens fee or to check in before they go to the first tee and they are in and out in, in a matter of a few minutes. Uh, there's no browsing, there's no wandering through the pro shop looking at the latest merchandise. It's, it's, so the opportunity to buy, also there's, um, you know, depending where you are, people are, they don't want you to touch the merchandise and go try it on. They'd rather you, you know, so there's reasons that make apparel a very challenging uh, product to sell in this environment. Uh, the off course continues to do pretty well. The online channel does well, but off course, which you know represents seventy to eighty percent of of sales of, of golf apparel, uh, has has really struggled just because golfers aren't in there touching, feeling, trying on. In hard goods and soft goods, which brands have fared better than others? Well, it, it's been interesting um, in in the hard goods area. I, I'd say in a lot of ways, the high tide here has lifted all the boats. Uh, we're seeing a lot of brands that have you know done ex- exceptionally well. Uh, it's not being driven by one hot brand per se, like uh, oftentimes it is in a in a normal year. Uh, this is a case where the entire business is doing pretty well. Um, you know. Price point offerings are also doing uh, very well. In apparel, uh, the challenges have primarily been, best we can tell, for at the very high end in the premium price points where people are struggling, uh, like the big resorts don't necessarily have the, the traffic they, they might normally have. Uh, and, they do, and while they may have some local people who might drive you know, two hours to come play, that person might buy a shirt and that's fine versus uh, in, in a normal year, they'd have somebody coming from Asia or Europe who might come in and drop $4,000 on, on a bunch of shirts and things to bring home with them. So it, it, it's been a little difficult at the high end in the apparel business. You've spoken about it a little bit already, John, but I'd like to stay kind of here for a moment and just ask for, Anything specific worth noting, anything else in terms of buying through a club or PGA professional versus a brick and mortar store or online? What other insights can you provide? I imagine online retail still very much driving the conversation. Yeah, online is definitely a higher percentage of total sales than it used to be. It's more of a factor in the consumable side. Although uh, hard goods like uh, like clubs, as an example, have they've gotten they're selling more online than ever before. But it still tends to be products that are in the uh, mid to, to lower price points. In that the high end product, the premium drivers, the premium iron sets, uh, most people are still going to get custom fit for those. And it, obviously, the uh, online retailers have yet to figure out how to do uh, effective um, custom fitting. So online has, has definitely become more, we, we did a, actually we started on March 8th and we just finished our 26th week of doing weekly studies with, with consumers 
uh, about at least 500 respondents each week. And it started initially just trying to get their opinions on life in general. What's their outlook? What's their outlook on the economy, about their health? Uh, and it evolved from there into a lot of questions about purchasing and, and purchase intent. But one of the things we found was it uh, was pretty interesting is early on, there was a lot of concern about, no, I don't really want to go to a demo day. I don't want to go get custom fit. I don't want to go inside. Uh, that's all changed. And, and it was about week, week 10 or 12 into that, we saw a flip and people suddenly are like, yeah, I'm comfortable going to a demo day. I can't wait to get custom fit. Um, and, and so through this tracking mechanism we have, we've been able to really look at how consumers feel and, and what their thought process is as they go through this whole new world we live in. It's gotten a much rosier picture over the last probably month, I would say, than, than ever before. Well, speaking about that rosier picture, John, obviously engagement increases for some, you called it an engagement explosion in golf amid this global pandemic, but let's be honest, monetary increases for few. What makes golf different and how has the industry been able to take advantage where some others haven't? I don't disagree with the basic premise of that statement is in that there's certainly an issue with high-end net worth individuals certainly are in pretty good shape. Uh, stock market rebounded. And, and a lot of the attitudinal issues that we developed or, or saw in the marketplace seem to track the stock market more closely than they did necessarily the news on the pandemic. You know, when stocks were down, people were really in a bad mood. They wanted nothing to do with buying anything. Uh, but as as the stock market has improved, that's Im improved very dramatically as well. So you do have that segment of, of the golf population who, who spend a lot of money on premium uh, golf clubs, getting custom fit, you know, are not that concerned with dropping $1,500 on a set of irons that's a very healthy segment. The other side, which I think a lot of people misconstrue, is that golf is perceived as this elitist sport that only people who have a lot of money play. And, and that's not really the case. If you go to a public golf course, of which public golf course are, are uh, far outnumbered private courses, you'll see it's a, it's a pretty uh, pretty normal sport. And you've got a lot of normal people out there playing the game. And and enjoying it and, and loving it. And it's very difficult to get a tea time for them as well, just because so many people are out there playing. That's my concern is that group, as, as this moves forward with, you know, the high unemployment, certainly that the country is facing. And then you have the, um, you know, the concerns over uh, entire industries that are shut down. You know, if, if you're a restaurant worker or in the event space, how do you make, make ends meet? And certainly you will at some point, if you may have been, uh, you know, enjoying a little extra income because you had the um, $600 from the government, you know, that's great. However, at some point that's ending. Now you have to deal with the fact you're, you're either unemployed or your income's been cut significantly. And that's the segment of the, of the golf population that I think we're particularly concerned about. And, and certainly in the overall economy, if these, 20 to 30 million people, however many there are exactly, I don't know if anybody knows, but there's you know, a lot of people unemployed. 
eventually that's going to uh, drag down the overall economy, which is going to be bad for stock prices, which is then bad for the guys at the high end of the market. So there's a lot of things out there to be concerned about. Uh, but at the moment, uh, you know, golf is, is kind of enjoying a, uh, a golden moment where uh, a lot of tailwinds are behind it, which we haven't had for several years. John, I've got two follow-ups for you there based on what you just said. So why don't we start with the premium buyers as you described them before. To what extent is it fair to suggest that perhaps the industry has been insulated some by virtue of the fact that it trends toward many who were perhaps more financially stable at the start of this? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any arguing that fact. We do regular consumer studies of what we call serious golfers, and, and they're in our database. They represent about 5 million or about 20%. You know, it's the old 80-20 rule that 20% of people are out there spending 80% of the money, whether it's on equipment or on, on playing the game. And really, our customers, who are the manufacturers, they're most concerned about that group because keeping them happy and keeping them engaged is where uh, year in, year out, they, you know, they make uh, their profit. That group is, you know, they are doing very well, and, but that is, you know, a significant part of uh, the spend. You know, they far outspend the, uh, the 80% of people who only spend 20% of the money. So golf is kind of has a, a, you know, a split where you have uh, bifurcated, you know, not the rules bifurcated, but the, uh, the, the marketplace itself is somewhat bifurcated with the, uh, the high-end premium buyer who really supports the industry year in, year out. And then right at the moment, you have this uh, group of, of newer folks coming in. And it'll be interesting to see. I really have no idea of how big the, uh, the, the market's going to grow in terms of the number of golfers. I mean, we've seen it been holding steady in that 24 to 24 and a half million for the last uh, three or four years. It's certainly going to go up this year, but I you know, wouldn't even hazard a guess how far it will go. And then very quickly for you on that other end of the spectrum, to what extent might consumer spending stimulus checks have impacted the figures over summer? It certainly could have had some effect. I, I don't think it's huge, but it certainly there, I wouldn't say there's nobody who's done it, but there's certainly uh, uh, that particular group because your income to qualify for the stimulus checks was was low enough that you, you probably not a lot of people were out there playing golf at a country club anyway. They weren't the premium buyers or in the kind of that mid premium, which is certainly significant and certainly important. And, um, but the, the stimulus checks I'm sure had some impact, but uh, I, I think at least as far as July data goes, it was really driven by just pure demand in general. And it, and once again, we, August data will be out uh, another 10 days or so. And I think we're you know, looking forward to having a, a pretty good month of August. Understood. So July sales, of course, were pleasing, I'm sure, considering everything that has transpired this year. Yet golf equipment retail sales still remain down in overall year-over-year -year sales. Mm -hmm. That said, what's your expectations for August? I know you've said already you think it'll probably be pretty good, not as good as July, but then more so let's talk about the rest of 2020, even longer term than that. I really just want to get to the bottom of how long it might take for the industry to recover fully from this. And then will it ever? At the end of July, we were still down 
for all equipment, we were down about 10%. It was 9.7, I think. So just a little under 10% decline on a year-over-year -year basis. With uh, you know a, a good August, as good as we think it might be, I mean, we will cut into that number probably pretty significantly, not, not half of it, but probably close to that. Um, and then, you know, how the rest of the year plays out. I hesitate. I have a lot of conversations with uh, people who run golf companies on, on a regular basis. And the concern is nobody really knows what's going to happen. Not so much from a business point of view or not so much from a golf point of view, but it, what's going to happen with the pandemic? What's going to happen with COVID? Uh, are we going to see four shutdowns? Or are we going to see more lockdown? You know, and it's that sort of thing that is difficult to to figure. If things were to continue the way they are, where you have uh, very focused efforts to you know shut down areas where there are problems, I think golf comes out of it okay. Because to my knowledge, I've yet to hear of any single person who said you know somebody caught COVID at this particular golf course. It's an outdoor sport. It, it would be very rare if that were to happen. As far as the rest of this year's goes, I mean, I think it uh, a lot's going to depend on on what happens with the pandemic. But it, I think, reality is we could get within shouting distance of year ago volume levels uh, by year end, which would be pretty amazing. Because I, when I, we first started back in April doing reforecasts on what we were expecting, where we thought the year would be, I mean, I was thinking we could easily be down twenty five percent. So. It's uh, far surpassed anything we could have seen at that point. What sorts of vulnerabilities has the pandemic exposed in the golf retail market? And then what sorts of changes or innovations do you imagine will come out of this? Well, it's been interesting because a lot of what drives in uh, one of the hottest segments of golf retail was the, um, or still is the, the club fitters and builders of the world. The guys who you go in, you pay a fee, you go get fit on a uh, on a trackman or a, a gc quad and they give you all the data and they're able to customize golf equipment specifically to your needs to your swing and that's been a, a very high growth area in, in golf clubs however uh you know in the early going people were like a i don't want to be touching clubs somebody else has touched b i don't want to go inside and do this i don't want to be trapped you know inside this little area um, and, and what's happened and is kind of evolved is that people have come up with ways to deal with it, whether it's, you know, spraying down grips in between each, each uh, person hitting shots or, you know, working with masks and ventilation and, and doing more outdoor demo days. That's all been, been very positive. And I, and I think it, um, in terms of vulnerabilities for retailers, part of the challenge has been the, uh, you know, if you went into this, uh, in, in a less than ideal financial situation, I think the odds are pretty slim that you came out of it. You know, you, you had to be in, in pretty good shape to make it work. And um, so the, the, you know, the strong have survived. For right now, you know, everything looks like it will continue to be pretty healthy. Moving into the back end of our conversation here today, John, just a couple more questions for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of inventory pricing and distribution amid this pandemic? What have been the really prevalent trends and challenges? Well, one of the, one of the really positive things that came out of this is starting, I don't know, four or five years ago, um, there was a, a pretty strong shift by 
the consumer and the and the trade and the, the brands involved to to go into custom fitting and, and custom fitting by its you know by definition means that people the manufacturers are actually building the product specifically the way you want it or you need it if the pandemic had hit five six seven years ago there would have been a lot of retailers sitting on tons of inventory because in the old way of doing business you launched a new product you shipped it in and then the the retailer was selling off the inventory that was in the back room you might get a couple of custom orders but for the most part he was selling what he had with this shift to custom fitting what it's it's been you know a positive for the industry is that when the pandemic hit the and everybody started shutting down in march the retailers didn't have a lot of inventory they were sitting on a relatively small amount of product most of which you know it's not like bread it doesn't go bad so if you had a you know a new driver that just came in on march 8th you shut down on march 17th when we reopened you could still sell that driver uh, but you didn't have many in the old days you would have been sitting there with you know the old saying used to be a loaded customer is a happy customer and uh, that was the way you know the way things used to run it doesn't happen that way anymore to kind of go back to what the auto industry did when they went to just-in-time inventory i mean that's in, in essence what the golf club industry has moved to so you had a lot less product in the marketplace you didn't have a lot of inventory sitting there you didn't end up with a lot of fire sales because people had to liquidate to pay their mortgage or, or pay their their rent um, on the the ball side there was a um a significant uh, improvement in in what could have happened if if we had shut down a month later in essence a lot of the balls that get shipped in to to golf shops go in, generally speaking, in northern shops, they're going to arrive on around April 1st so that they're ready for the big spring push. Well, everything shut down before that happened. So once again, the, the retailers themselves were not sitting upon tons and tons of inventory and were concerned about it. And then there's the whole online, you know, what's happened with online sales. That's been very positive for people who sell online. Some of the off-course specialty stores have, have reported very good success with curbside pickup. You know, you uh, order online and just drive in, call them, and they'll bring it out, put it in your car, and away you go. Uh, and that works for some products. So for others, it's uh, not quite so easy. But uh, th those are kind of the, the shopping trends and th that have been out there. John, let's finish here. Moving forward, what trends must our listeners be aware of in the golf retail space? I think I'd always be concerned over pricing. The, the last two years have played out. Uh, retail prices on, on particularly golf clubs have, have gotten very, uh, gone up a lot. And a lot of it has to do with this shift to custom fitting and that you are, um, you know, people are buying product that is specifically made for them. So it may have a unique shaft, but therefore it drives the price up a lot. And when they get that product, they may not be buying quite as quickly. So in, in essence, their purchase uh, cycles are starting to slow down. We, we track that very carefully and have been for uh, since 1999, we do annual studies to understand purchase cycles on, on golf products. And, and we're seeing a lengthening of purchase cycles. So I think a lot of people have to be concerned over 
just how frequently somebody's going to buy if they're spending $1,200 on a new driver. If they had been buying a new driver every other year, yeah, they might go four years before they buy the next one. So I, I think just keeping an eye on, uh, on traffic and, and, and uh, inventories and making sure that you uh, are in touch with your customer. Because I think the generally people are going to want to slow down their purchases. Golf Data Tech partner, John Chris Nowak, thank you so much for taking the time today. John, we really do appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew.